I want to read out of Psalm 91. This is such a good psalm. Maybe for some of you, you just want to close your eyes and just let these words wash over you. If you're watching online, maybe you'll just, just kind of close your eyes and just, just settle into this moment. It reads this way, Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I trust Him. For He will rescue you from every trap, protect you from deadly disease. He will cover you with His feathers. He will shelter you with His wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. Do not be afraid of the terrors of night, nor the arrows that fly in the day. Do not dread the disease that stalks in the darkness, nor the disaster that strikes at midday. Though a thousand fall at your side, though ten thousand are dying around you, the evils will not touch you. Verse 8 says, just open your eyes and see the wicked are punished. If you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the Most High your shelter, no evil will conquer you. No plague will come near your home, for He will order His angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. You will trample upon lions and cobras. You will crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. The Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honor them. I will reward them with a long life and give them my salvation. This idea that Psalm 91 gives us about the shadow of the Almighty is right in the heart of the Christmas story. This idea of being in the shadow of the Almighty is right at the center of the Christmas narrative. As we begin this Christmas series tonight, we, we, we want you to know that there is a promise that is for you. For the power of the shadow of the Almighty to rest upon you. I remember back in May as Derek was graduating, our oldest from Virginia Tech, we had rented this little Airbnb at the top of this little mountain town in Copper Hill. And we would spend the day in Blacksburg, and then we would make our way back up at night for those few days back to our little, little Airbnb. And, and it, you know, it's what you would expect driving in, the, in the, the mountains of Virginia. There are these winding roads, and you're kind of, as you're coming down, there's these 90-degree turns and all these beautiful vistas and, and, and scenic outlooks. And one night as we were coming back, we, we were heading up the mountain, and, we, and, we, and we, we went around a corner as we were going up this, this steep incline, and, and we couldn't figure out what was ahead of us. It looked like a big white wall. And, 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 and as we got closer to it, we were like, what in the world is that? And we realized it was fog that it, that it settled on the mountain. We were only about halfway up. We had about another 20 minutes to go. And, and, as, and there was no, 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 you had to go through it, right? There's, there's, there's no turning around. And, and so as we get into this cloud, we, we realize we cannot see. We're completely enveloped 
in this fog that has rested on the top of the mountain. To, in order to drive, I'm looking at the blue line on the GPS just as much as I am the road. You with me? You, you cannot see. You've got your lights on low. You've got your flashers on. You're hoping everybody, you're doing about two miles an hour. And we continued on like that for about 20 minutes. We, we were completely enveloped, completely encased and submerged in this fog that had settled on this mountain. There, there is an experience, I think, that is waiting for us with God at times in our lives that are just like that. There's times in his presence where he wants you to feel as though there has been a fog that has settled around you and it just completely surrounds you with who he is. This is what the angel Gabriel says to Mary. Listen to this. In Luke 1, beginning in verse 26, it says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. We're going to get to that in a minute. That's important. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end." Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. And the angel replied, the whole, listen to what it says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. I think God gave Gabriel this specific phrase to use because Mary, being a Jewish girl, would have grown up very familiar with Psalm 91. I think the language is important. I think the language was something of this idea they believed and had this expectation. There could be times or moments where you found yourself completely enveloped by the presence of God. Psalm 91 talks about being in the shadow of the Almighty. And here Gabriel uses this, this very phrase, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. This word here in the Greek in Luke chapter 1 for overshadow is only used in a few other times in the New Testament. One of them, both Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uses it to describe what happened to Peter, James, and John when they were on the, on the Mount of Transfiguration. As we read in the Gospels, we know that Jesus invited just these three disciples up on top of a mountain, and there they saw him in all of his glory, and Moses and Elijah appeared to them. But it says that there was a cloud that, that rested on this mountain. There, there was a cloud that they were surrounded by, and it's the same exact word there that we find here in Luke chapter 1. They were enveloped by this cloud. The power of the Almighty was overshadowing them. 
As you keep reading in the Bible, you come to the book of Acts, and this same word overshadow is used again. It's where, where Peter is walking down a street, and it says that his shadow, when it would, would, would pass over someone and rest on them, that, the, that the, the power of God was on his life so mightily that when his shadow overshadowed a person, that they would be healed from their infirmity. Come on. Unbelievable. Right, This idea of being overshadowed with the power of the Almighty is, 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 is this incredible promise that I think that we have lost sight of as Christians. It's interesting here in, in this encounter that Mary has with Gabriel, there are other promises that are given that we expect for ourselves. Gabriel tells Mary, the, the, the Lord is with you. We have an expectation that the Lord is with us. Right? As if you've been around Christianity and in and, and the Bible for any amount of time, you have this belief that the Lord is with you. If you grew up in a Christian home, you've been taught that your whole life because at the Great Commission, Jesus says, Lo, I will be with you always to the end of the earth. We raised our children that way. Jesus is always with you. Right? We have this expectation that Jesus is with us. If, if we were to keep reading here in Luke chapter 1, we would see that the angel Gabriel says to Mary, The word of the Lord will never fail you. I have that expectation in my life. I believe that the word of God is never going to fail me. I believe in the infallibility of Scripture. The longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119, verse after verse after verse after verse after verse after verse, talks about the word of the Lord being infallible, being true, being timeless, that we can put the full weight of our life on it. We have this expectation that the Bible will never fail us. As you keep reading in this story of Mary and Gabriel, you find that there's this statement where he says the Holy Spirit will come upon you. It's a very distinct phrase. It's a very specific way to say it. When you get to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you know what Jesus says? He said to the disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. I don't know about you, but I, I believe in that. I have an expectation that there's times in my life where the Holy Spirit is going to come upon me, that he's going to empower me. Do, do we live with the same kind of expectation that there are experiences waiting for us in this life? There are times and moments in our lives where the power of the Almighty overshadows us. Are we living our lives with an expectation that that promise wasn't just for Mary, but that promise is for me? Are there times in our lives where we're facing circumstances and situations that are beyond our control, beyond our ability? Do we believe that Psalm 91 is just as true today as it was when it was written? Do we believe that the shadow of the Almighty is still for us? Are there times in our lives where we believe that God pulls us in to his shadow? He overshadows us with his power, and in that place of being overshadowed by him, he changes us. I remember as a young father, it was probably in the early 2000s, our children were probably, I don't know, five, three, and one. We were living in Mechanicsville, Virginia. We were on staff at Mechanicsville Christian Center, the church we were at for 17 years before coming here and, and, and until we came here in 2007. And, and we were sitting at our, our, our kitchen table, and, and we were having dinner one night, 
and one of the kids, I don't remember which one it was, knocked over the salt and pepper shakers. And, and, and when they knocked it over, everything stopped. All, all of them, and Vanessa included. They stopped, and they looked at me with an expectation that something was coming, but not an expression on their face that was favorable. Right? They were waiting for anger. They were waiting for an outburst. They were waiting for a reaction that children's and wives should not expect. Right? I can see that expression on their face even now today, even though it was years ago. And I remember that began to take me on a journey of, I don't want to see that expression on the faces of my children and my wife anymore. I don't want to be that kind of father. As you read throughout the New Testament, there's all kinds of instructions for dads. And one, and one of them says that fathers are not supposed to provoke their children to anger. Now, that means lots of things, but one of the reasons why that's in there is that God is trying to teach us as fathers that if we're not careful, we will create in our children what's called a father wound. And, and one of the ways that you create a father wound in your children is, is by constantly creating a feeling in them that they do not measure up. And, and, if, and if you create this kind of father wound in your child, in your children, and, 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 it, and it goes unrepaired or unhealed, at some point they grow up and in their life, like with what was happening to me, when you find yourself in moments where you're frustrated, when you find yourselves in, in moments where maybe somebody else is not measuring up to what you were like, all the emotion of you not measuring up spills out in that moment. It's a father wound. And I remember it was probably just a few weeks later, we were, I was in my office, and a friend of mine was in there who was a, a member of the church, and, and, and we were praying for him. We had scheduled it because he had some anger issues in his life, and so we said, why don't you come to the church, and let's just spend some time praying for you. So I was in there, and a couple of other people were in there, and, and, and as we were praying for him, he was, I, I was sitting in a chair like here, he was sitting on a couch over there, and then two other people were sitting across from him. And as we were ministering to him in prayer, we got into this, this, this place where we were just encouraging him. His name's not George. Let's just call him George. We said, George, we, we want you to picture Jesus standing in front of you right now because we believe that Jesus is here and that Jesus is our healer. We want you to picture that Jesus is standing in front of you and that he's reaching his hand out to you. And you can begin to see some emotion is coming for, for George. And, 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 and he begins to cry. And, and we just had this sense that, that Jesus was just ministering to him, overshadowing him. You with me? And, and in that moment, I'm, as, I, as I'm looking up, I had this picture of Jesus there ministering to my friend, and I kid you not, it was as plain as day, he, he looked at me and he pointed to me. And, and when he pointed to me, all of these vignettes of all of these moments with my father growing up just passed like I was watching a movie reel. One after another, after another, after another, just in an instant. A lifetime of memories, but in an instant. And all of a sudden, I began to weep. And, and I realized in that moment Jesus wasn't just healing my friend George. He was healing me. He was healing me. That the power of the Most High can overshadow you. That the power of the Most High 
can overshadow you. I wasn't a perfect father after that day, but I was a better father after that day. I was a different kind of father after that day. Are there times where we need therapy to deal with our father wound? Yes, we do. Are there times where we need to go to places where we can pursue same gender relationships like base camp here in the chapel the fourth Saturday of every month? Come on. Are there times for the ladies that you need to show up for the well? Is it the first, first Saturday, Vanessa, the well? First Saturday of the month. For ladies. Are there times where you need to pursue same gender relationships? Yes, you do. You've got some wounds and some hurts in your life that, that you, you need those relationships. You might need therapy, but can I just tell you what you also need? You need an overshadowing. You, you need to pursue environments and settings where you feel like that the power of God is overshadowing you, is resting upon you, because there is a healing that he wants to do in our lives that leaves us different than before. It, it might be that you are here tonight and you would say, I struggle a little bit with anger. It might be that you're here tonight and you would say, I, I have a little problem sometimes with outbursts. Maybe me, hearing me talk about father wounds is resonating something within you. I, I thought what we would do, because I've got another one I'm going to talk about tonight, but before I move on to that, I thought may, maybe... Maybe tonight's going to be a night where you experience an overshadowing. Maybe, maybe tonight's going to be a night where you feel that the power of the Most High is going to overshadow you. Maybe tonight's going to be a night where you feel like Jesus is going to point to you and he's going to do some work in your heart. I, this is what I want to do. I'm going to invite you to, will you close your eyes just for a minute? I want to create a moment of privacy for some people. If you're watching online, I'm going to ask you to do the same thing. If you're in a living room or wherever, you might just close your eyes. This is what I, I want to do. I want, I want, and I want you to keep your eyes closed because I, I do want this to be a moment of privacy for people. But if you're here and you would say, Fred, I, I struggle with anger. There's, there's times in my life I don't even know where it comes from. I see a hand up already. You keep it up because some other people I know are going to be joining you in just a minute. Some anger comes out and you're not sure where it comes from, why it's there. You've seen the expression on the faces of people that you love just like I did, and you're like, I don't want to see those expressions anymore. Father, I pray for the people's hands that are up right now. I, pr I pray for the people who have their hands up right now. I pray, Father, that just as you did for me years ago, that you would do for them in this moment, that they would have a sense of the power of the Most High overshadowing them. I, I pray that you would help them to see right now, Lord, if there's some things from their past, if there's a father wound, if there's a mother wound, if there's a, a wound from somebody that, that, that was a, a person of influence in their life, maybe it was a pastor, Lord, what, what, whatever is the root of the cause of that anger bleeding out in moments of frustration, I pray right now that you would show them what that is. And, and as they see it, I pray, Father, that you would begin to heal that wound in their heart. I pray that you would begin to mend that part of their life that is broken. I pray that you would begin to mend that part of who they are that is wounded. I pray, Father, that they would have such an incense right now, just like it was for us as we were driving on the top of that mountain, that they would feel this experience of being enveloped by the power 
of the Most High. Jesus. In Jesus' name, come on, and everybody said, amen. If, if, if you raised your hand and you need to talk to someone, I'm easy to get a hold of. There might be people in your life that you trust, spiritual mentors. Maybe you're already in a small group. I'm going to encourage you to talk with those people. I remember coming home from that day of being in my office and talking to Vanessa and, and, and telling her what happened to me. You with me? There is real change that God wants to work out in our lives. He, he didn't save us just to leave us like we are. He, there, is, there is a work of transformation, that there is a journey that we can go on together. We are different than the people that we used to be. And one of the pieces and parts that are necessary is for you to be willing to step into moments like you just did. To believe that this promise of being overshadowed by the power of the Most High is for you. Maybe anger isn't your challenge. Maybe family history is your challenge. Maybe you would say, Fred, I have those two and many more, right? Maybe family history is your challenge. Listen to this. This comes from Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. It says, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. Now, we understand that each of the Gospels give us a little bit different of a perspective. They each give us information that the other did not. And then we kind of assimilate them all together to get the whole story. Matthew picks up here in chapter 1, verse 18. It says, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. So Moses is, I mean, Matthew was picking up with the story after she's already pregnant. Luke, she's not pregnant yet, but Gabriel tells her what's going to happen. Now Matthew picks up, here's Joseph, his wife is already pregnant, and we, and we have to trust and assume that Mary has told Joseph what's happened. We have to trust and assume that at some point, Mary says to Joseph, we need to talk. See, marriage was different 2,000 years ago than it is today, especially for the Jewish household. There was a three-step process that often began when they were infants. Maybe neighbors that live next to each other, one person, they have a little boy and the other has a little girl, and the parents decide... I think our children should be married. Yeah. And they make an agreement. And that agreement is called an engagement. And then at some point, usually in their early teens, they make a decision as to whether or not they should continue on with the engagement. And that's called being espoused. Now, the Bible tends to just use the word engagement because the translation is trying to speak in our modern language. But there was really three specific phases, and most biblical scholars believe that Mary and Joseph, they, they were in the, the, being the espoused stage, because here, as we keep reading in the text, it says that Joseph was wrestling whether or not he was going to divorce Mary. Now, in order for a divorce to happen and to be necessary, they would already be espoused. You don't need to divorce to end an engagement. But once you become espoused, you don't have a romantic relationship yet. You don't have a sexual relationship yet. But you are, by all accounts, married and devoted to one another. And then the third step is being betrothed. 
This is by Jewish custom. Betrothal is the actual wedding ceremony that's consummated through a sexual relationship. So, so if the Bible is telling us, and Matthew is writing, that Joseph was considering divorcing Mary, putting, sending her away quietly, in the Greek it says divorce her, then we know that they've been espoused to each other. So you can imagine what it was like for Joseph when Mary says, can we talk? And he says, yes. And she says, I'm pregnant. Now Joseph knows it's not his baby. And Mary's story is an angel came to me. His name was Gabriel. And he told me that the Holy Spirit was going to come upon me, that the power of the Most High was going to overshadow me, and I was going to become pregnant with the Messiah who will one day be the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Now, you tell me what you think Joseph's first reaction is going to be. I think that there was something inside of Joseph that wanted to believe Mary, but I think Joseph was just like you and me. It's such an incredible story. How could that be true? And then, as we continue to read, God says, hey, we probably need to send someone to talk to this young man. Says Joseph, her fiance, was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement, which is really the espousement, quietly because he also knew that she could be stoned to death because the penalty for being pregnant and being espoused was death for her. And as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. Come on. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now listen to what it says. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, which means that they were not actually betrothed and not actually married until after Jesus was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. Now, I have always read this story the same way. This, 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 this belief that Joseph was going to send Mary away because he did not believe in Mary. But as I was doing some research this week, I'm asking a different question now. Is it possible that Joseph believed Mary from the start, but was going to send her away because he did not believe in himself? Is it possible that he, he was going to send her away because he believed that he was not worthy to be the father of the Savior? You see, because when we read in the genealogy that Matthew gives us, if we were to take the time tonight, all the parts in the Bible that you skip over when you're doing your Bible reading plan. Come on, you know it's true. You, 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 you get to Matthew and you get to verse 2 and you're like, here we go, begat, 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 begat. Two, oh, we're going to get into those genealogies next week. Two, all the way down to 12. Oh, and it keeps going. 
all the way to 16. Let me see where I want to jump in. let's, Let's jump in at verse 11. Josiah was the father of Jehoiakim and his brothers born at the time of the exile to Babylon. And after the Babylonian exile, Jehoiakim was the father of Shiltiel. Now, your Bible might say Jeconiah. It's spelled differently in different translations, but it's the same name. And what's interesting, which is one of the reasons why, if God puts it in there, come on, there's a reason for it. As you study this genealogy and all the lives of the people there, you find something interesting about Jehoiakim. In Jeremiah 22, the Holy Spirit inspires Jeremiah to pronounce a curse on Jehoiakim and his family. It says that he will be listed as though he were childless and none of his descendants will ever see the throne of Israel. That he will be listed as childless, meaning that he won't be childless, but in in the records of genealogy, it will be treated as though he was childless because none of his children will ever see the throne. Joseph is a direct descendant of Jehoiakim. Joseph has a family story that he has carried. You don't think Joseph knows this about himself? You don't think this family for centuries has lived with the shame and the curse of what God spoke over their family? You you don't think this family knows that you don't think other people don't know this story in their family line? Is it possible that when Joseph is thinking, I'm going to put Mary away, he's thinking, I can't be the father of the Messiah because my family carries with it a curse that no one in my line will ever be king. Is it possible that Joseph is going to put Mary away quietly, not because he's a doubter, but because he has a good heart? And there's something inside of him that says, I don't want to put the shame of my story on my son. Come on. What do you think it was like for Joseph when the angel comes to him in his sleep? And God basically is saying to Joseph, Joseph, we didn't just pick Mary, we also picked you. You're not in this story by default. You're not in this story by accident. You're not in this story because you just happened to be the one who lived next door, your parents lived next door to Mary's parents, and they thought, how great would it be if our kids grew up and got married? No, 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 no. We picked you. Have you ever stopped to think that the curse in Jeremiah 22 isn't just a curse on Jehoiakim, it's also a prophecy of the virgin birth? Come on. Have you ever stopped to think that what's happening here All those years ago when the Holy Spirit inspired Jeremiah to pronounce that thing over Jehoiakim's family, part of what God was setting us up for is that Jesus would one day be in the line of Jehoiakim, but he will not be of his seed. He'll be in his line, but he's going to be of heaven's seed. He's going to be born of a virgin, but his father is in heaven. What do you think it was like when Joseph woke up that day 
and he realized that God was telling a story and he had a part to play in spite of his family history. I think in that moment that something shed off of him, I think in that moment that Joseph felt like that curse that he had been living under, that shame that he had been carrying, just began to fall away. Maybe you came in here tonight and you would say, Fred, oh, I got some family history. Maybe you came in here tonight and, 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 and that family history, it has a grip on your life. Maybe your story of your family from generation to generation has not been one so proud and maybe it weighs on you. Maybe even on the way here tonight, you thought to yourself, I don't know if God can ever use me because the family that I have come from. Now, you might need some therapy to deal with your family history. You, you, you might need to spend some time with some men, if you're a man, and some women, if you're women, to begin to talk about your story and your family history. But can I just tell you something else you need? You, you need to have an encounter where the power of the Most High overshadows you. There is something that God can do in your life that breaks the chains of the bondage of the story that you were born with, and he's going to write you a new story. And that new story is the story that you're going to pass down from generation to generation. It's powerful, isn't it? That, that, that Joseph, we know he wasn't the father to Jesus, but Jesus had brothers and sisters. Can we just agree that those brothers and sisters, they, they stepped out into the world. They were not part of Jehoiakim's story. Now they're part of Joseph's story. God closed the chapter on that story and he began to write a new one. For some of you here tonight, if you have a family history, if you have a family story, God wants to set you free from it, not just for you, but for the children that are going to come after you. So we're going to do it again. We're going to make it personal. We don't want to talk about it and then not pray on it. So I'm going to invite you to just close your eyes where you are. If you're watching online, I'm going to invite you to Close your eyes where you are. If you would say, Fred, I, I, I've got some family history. I, my, my family has a story, and I feel like it's just got a hold on me. I'm going to invite you to just raise your hand where you are. Just, just slip it up. Come on, just keep it up. I see some hands. Just keep it up. It's okay. It's just a moment of privacy. I want you to just keep it up while we pray. Father, I pray for every hand that's up right now in this room. I, I pray for every hand that is up in people's living rooms, wherever people might be, God, as they're watching this service online. Lord, I pray that right now that they would feel as though that they are being overshadowed by the power of the Almighty. It's not an experience that we generate. It's not an experience we create. It's something that you give. It's something that you do. I pray that even now they would just have this feeling that, that, that your shadow is just resting on them, like the shadow of Peter passing over people in the book of Acts, like Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration, and that cloud descended upon them. I pray, Father, that these hands that are up right now, they would have this incredible sense of your glory, of your love, of your power overshadowing them. 
closing the chapter of the family story that they were born into this world with and opening up a new book with a fresh page waiting to be written on. I pray, Father, that they would have such a sense of that book not just being closed, but it would be bound, that it would be locked, and it would be cast away. And there is a new book, and there is a new story that's going to be written. There is a new life that's going to be lived. That They're, they're going to have this feeling of just shaking off that old story. They're going to have this feeling of just shaking off the inheritance of what once was. They're going to have a sense, oh God, of of you moving them forward into their future with a a new outlook, a new belief that the story of the people that came before them are no longer going to instruct who they are, how they live, the choices that they make, the decisions that they make, and the situations that they find themselves in. We pray for them right now, Lord, that they would be enveloped in the shadow of the Most High. In Jesus' name, come on, everybody sit together. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand with me. The worship team is going to come back up. There's all kinds of promises in the Bible, and I believe this is one of the big ones that the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And and I don't believe that that's just something that's supposed to happen once in our lives. I I told you the the story that I told you tonight because I believe that there were going to be some other people that struggle with that, but there's been lots of times in my life where I feel like the power of the Most High has overshadowed me and brought healing in my life, and brought change in my life, and brought transformation in my life. What what I'm saying is, will you move through this Christmas Christmas season with a new hope? Will, Will you move through this Christmas season with a new expectation? Not just that Jesus is with you. Not not just that the Word of God will never fail you. Not, not even just that the Holy Spirit will come upon you, but will you move through this Christmas season with a new expectation for the rest of your life that the power of the Most High can overshadow you. Father, as we worship here in this moment, I pray that people would be overshadowed by the power of you, the power of the Most High. I I pray that people in this moment tonight, Lord, that maybe there's something that we didn't talk about as a topic, but it's weighing heavy on their heart, and they know that there's an encounter that they need to have with you that's real, that's personal, that's tangible, and it's going to leave them different on the other side. May may it be that the power of the Most High will overshadow us. In Jesus' name, come on, let's worship together.